The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm alright, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Uh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. A social distancing tip. While the CDC urges you to avoid close contact, like hugging or shaking hands, there are other non-physical ways to say hello. Wave, wink, use sign language, salute, smile, give the peace sign, throw up an air high five, do jazz hands. Remember, stay a minimum of six feet or two arms length away from others and stay home if you can. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the third half of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program. My uh, guest this hour has some advice for uh, people writing presidential speeches. I know everyone gets saddled with that at one time or another. Um... (laughs) She is uh, a writer, poet, and critic whose stories, poetry, and reviews have appeared in national and international publications, including the um, Los Angeles Review of Books, Rattle, Huffington Post, and uh, many more. And she joins me by phone. Her name is Joan Gelfand. Joan, welcome to the show. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. Lovely to be here. Now, I uh, had the, the good fortune to interview one of uh, George W. Bush's speech writers um, <laughs> years ago, and <clears throat> I was always curious if he walked around in the back of the room, you know, sort of kicking the carpet, <laughs> because the president uh, at that time was not known as a tremendous speech giver. Um, he was, uh, Yes, his rhetorical skills were limited. <laughs> Um, well, he just, he wasn't a great orator, and I thought, yes. that must be, that must be a real challenge to write a speech for someone who doesn't give speeches well. Absolutely. That's why, um, that's why I wrote this little blog post about writing a, a good speech speech and there's some very simple things that you can do and what we uh what we talked about in the blog post is you don't have to be running for president of the united states you could be running for your condo board you could be running for the uh uh you know um pta you know but in in any case if you want to win votes you have to you know connect with people on some level right and you have um, what you call five nonpartisan secrets to writing your best presidential speech. But it, it really applies to any speech you're going to give, doesn't it? 
that's what I'm saying. No matter what you're right. Oh, yes, absolutely. That's true. Um, whether you're giving a speech, trying to uh, communicate uh, a new idea. Yes, yes. But there's something about, um, you know, this running for office <laughs> that um, I always say people don't realize, but you have to use a lot of sales techniques but in an incredibly subtle way you're, you're not a used car salesman you know you're not saying ah, i give you the best deal in the world it's not about that but you want to use your sales techniques in terms of convincing people of your stance um but what about what about the voice um I, I was a big fan of the uh, television show The West Wing, and through the seventh season, when they were the campaign was going to, you know, for a new uh, president, um, the current president was term limited out, and so all these candidates were, you know, consulting with different people, and and I kept hearing this recurring theme about the presidential voice. Hmm. Well, think about it. That's a really good question. I love that. Love that. Um, think about it in the debate. You know, um, I remember watching the debates in the beginning, and I remember, and this is not to say whether I support her or not, but people uh, very quickly, uh, I wouldn't say disregarded, but thought that Elizabeth Warren would not be a front runner because they called her a screamer. And um, I think that in a debate situation, especially the defenses go up so high, right? You're, you're just constantly put on the defense. And so, you know, to get her point across, she would just kind of lapse into this, look, this is the way it is, you know, like, a, a scolding, and of course, women, you know, if a man did it, they wouldn't call him scolding. But uh, women, you know, were more sensitive about teachers and mothers. So they called her scolding. And um, I, I remember in this last presidential debate, how poised, and again, this is not, you know, doing a political endorsement, but to me, how poised uh, Kamala Harris was when she was put on the defense, she smiled. And this is from years and years of being in public office, I'm sure. You know, you can be trained to, um, as I would say, stay neutral. In other words, you don't want your defenses to go way up. You don't want, you, you don't want to show your emotional uh, response to the question. So I think going back to your question about the West Wing, I think the presidential voice is, um, you know, how poised, how, how um, authoritative can you sound without sounding angry or mean? You know what I'm saying? In other words, and, and we're not all blessed with the same tone of voice. You know, some people are just more naturally soft-spoken. I mean, anyway, I don't want to get too into politics, so I'll just stop No, there. no, and I, and, <laughs> and I don't mean to make it about politics, but because that's where we see um, 
that's where we have common examples of public speaking the most um, because we have debates to pull from we have stump speeches to pull from so you know we're we're able to you know examine those in a shared way um, and I I was and I hope and I hope it wasn't sexist, but I was a little put off by Kamala Harris in that she seemed a little pretentious to me, like she was maybe too practiced, or um, it didn't matter what was being said, that was the face and the tone you were going to get. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really hard situation to be put in. You know, she's both uh, stating her own position, political position, but she's also, I felt, protecting her boss. Sure. <laughs> you know, she, she was, she kind of had, had Joe Biden's back. And so it was a complicated role to put her in. But I felt like given the situation and how badly the, the presidential debates had gone in terms of attack. Um, you know, she she really kind of was like a a breath of fresh air where she wasn't going to go. I mean, I hear you, I, and I I see how that could be interpreted, how her stance could be interpreted that way. But for me, it was just like, ooh, you know, like stay 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 um, stay focused. Stay grounded. Try not to get into the swamp, you know. Um, but I think that that's an unusual uh, debating is a whole other art form. It, I mean, it they is. teach kids in school how do you do the debate club, right? Um, that's like uh, attorneys, you know, need to know how to debate. But but if you're running for the condo board or the school board, you just want to get your point across. So um, giving a speech, it, 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 it's one of the things a, a, a colleague of mine is very active in Toastmasters. And I mean, for some people, any kind of public speaking is the most frightening thing that's on their list. You know, maybe some people are afraid of flying, but for some people, the scariest thing they can be asked to do is to put themselves out and and give their opinions, and I think that that um, I think that's such a great thing about Toastmasters that it gives people a chance to practice. Like, look, come with your with your friends and colleagues who won't judge you, but will help you to be a better speech giver. You know, and um, some of the some of the uh, that's why this uh, this blog post was so simple because. Some of the points are just incredibly uh, logical and simple, and they're not brain surgery. But I think getting over fear is a, is a big issue. I've, I've, you know, I'm, you mentioned that I'm a poet, so I go to a lot of public events, readings, and yeah. if a poet is not confident in their work, their voice won't come across right. Yeah, that's true, and and um, there there is a certain amount of of being at ease but also in in speeches there there should be moments of passion and and 
crescendo. Yes, thank you for bringing that in. You know what? I didn't really bring that in. <laughs> that wasn't one of my five points. But um, but see, I think right. a lot about you're absolutely right. I yeah. think a lot about cadence and tempo, and um, <clears throat> you talk about uh, you know laughter and imagery, and and we'll get into all those you know in a little bit. But um, but but I think uh, tempo and cadence and and passion and crescendo is uh, is something that makes it interesting to listen to. Absolutely. And as I said before, not everyone is blessed with the same tonality or, um, and a lot of people have to really um, dig to find passion. I mean, compare Barack Obama to Joe Biden. You know, Barack Obama got up on the, on, on the podium and I mean, this guy was, you know, he had it. He was wired with passion. Um, not everybody is wired that way. So how do you how do you call that up and get that across? And you know, as I said, there are trainers and coach, coaches and people who help you learn how to do this. And um, you know, but but first step is getting over the anxiety and the fear, right? <laughs> and how do, how does somebody do that in a group like Toastmasters or? you know, by getting up in front of friends and, and family and practicing? How do you how do you get over that fear of, of um, talking in front of people? You know, honestly, and I don't know whether this is the same for everyone, but I'll just say how it was for me. Uh, doing it repeatedly really uh, eradicates the fear. So, for example, when I first started getting up to read at at literary events, I, I was traumatized, you know, <laughs> but that was over t 20 years ago. And, and that's reading your own work that your heart is all involved with. Um, but, you know, over the years, after giving hundreds of talks, you just realize, okay, it's another day. I'm going to be speaking. And, you know, your confidence builds. And I think that's the idea with to Toastmasters. You know, you go every week, you give a little talk, and after time, you know, you, 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 uh, your anxiety will ease up because, oh, I've done this before. It's kind of like kids riding a bike. You know, now I live in California, and, uh, you know, in COVID, it's just so amazing because um, a lot of the city streets have been closed to cars. It's, it's one of the sweetest things about the lockdown has been that um, the city has closed some of these big boulevards so that kids and people can get out and exercise, right? They know we're yeah. not going to drive. The whole thing was don't go to hiking trails. They're too crowded. So people are exercising more in an urban environment. And it's so cute to watch the parents teaching. And, of course, the kids are not in school all the time, and parents are spending a lot more time with their kids. And they're teaching them how to ride. And I remember being taught how to ride a bike. And, Joan, you know, Joan like I'm, I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I have to put a comma here. I have to go to a break. Can you stick around for a few minutes and we'll, yeah, we'll sure, talk some more? Of course, of course. My guest Absolutely. is Joan Gelfand. And uh, we're going to take a short break, let our broadcast partner squeeze a few words in edgewise. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the Briggs. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write us at TomSumnerProgram.com. Call us at at 810-339-8255 or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner program where to go. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. How do you do, ladies and gentlemen? This is Bob Hope back once again to tell you it's better to have Pepsodent flowing over your teeth now than to have water running under your bridge later. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through it. The Tom Sumner Program.com 
Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, I'm talking with um, award-winning writer Joan Gelfand about speech writing. And she joins me by phone. Joan, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Absolutely. If you haven't figured it out by now, I'm kind of a speech geek. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. I. I mean. I, well, you're you're in public. You're 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 giving speeches on your radio show. I I uh, I joke that uh, I think Paul Rosicki, who's one of the pundits on my weekly political roundtable, he and I are the only people I know who actually collect speeches. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. In, on video and <clears throat> audio recordings and in print um but but i'm fascinated by um by speeches and and what makes a good speech well communications in general but but speech writing is is a very special a very special thing and there's uh, most people who have to give a speech write their own speeches um you know, on on the level that we're talking about, if you're running for the school board or the condo board, um, the, obviously uh, political people have speech writers because... Well, and if you're president you're, of General Motors or, you know, something like that, you're going to have speech writers. But, but for most people who end up having to give a speech for work or, uh, you know, some... Uh, society they belong to um they're they're writing their own speeches exactly um one of the one of the 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 very first of the uh nonpartisan secrets that you write about um is uh using a joke to warm up Yes, yes. You know, I would hear speeches like that and and notice, okay, people are telling a joke when when they first start. And then I realize, you know, it's one person kind of standing in in front of however many. Let's say, you know, 20, 50, 100, 200 people, right? And People are a little, ner- the audience is a little nervous. Like, is this person, whether it's a man or a woman, going to, um, you know, deliver the goods? Is this person going to keep my interest for 10 minutes, 20 minutes, a half an hour? Um, you know, one of the challenges now, Tom, is we talk about, and I'm sure you talk about this too in radio a lot, is sound bites. They say that people are so conditioned now because of all of the apps where we spend our time scrolling, right? Like Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. It's like one second, one second, one second. If you don't get my interest, I'm gone, right? And so when I say use a joke, it's because that joke warms people up to the point where it's like, Oh, you're connecting with me. Because a joke is usually a way to connect with people, right? It's like, hey, I'm not up here 
Mrs. Expert. I'm I'm with you. I'm I'm a normal human. Uh, you know, I'm your average Joe. And uh, so you tell a joke and it kind of levels the playing field right away. Like, we're all in this at the same level. I'm not Mrs., you know, uh, you know, perfect or whatever. So I think laughter is always really good. So the joke that I put in my blog post about this was, and I also said be culturally sensitive, but hold on, I'll get back to that. The joke was, man walks into a bar, says to the bartender, I'll have a hurricane, a corona, and a fireball. How much? And the bartender says, that will be 2020. <laughs> so, I, so right, it's like immediately we're all like, okay, we see ourselves in a bar ordering a drink. Okay, we're all in there together. And um, the only thing that I, it, it, I advise in this first uh, point of the speech writing is to be culturally sensitive, that things have really changed, that in the past uh, you could get up and tell uh, an insensitive joke um, either at your spouse or a racial slur or sexist, and that's not okay anymore. Well, so, I, it's, you, know, you know, it's funny, but when, when some of those jokes were being told, they weren't, the, the people telling them weren't being insensitive, and the people hearing the jokes weren't as sensitive. Absolutely. We've been incredibly sensitized in these last years. And it's 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 made it tough. It, it's actually made it kind of tough, Joan, to find the funny. Uh, absolutely, because a lot of jokes are, um, it's an easy, you know, the easy jokes are, you know, my mother-in-law or you know, my husband, you know, everybody can relate to these things, but... Um, yeah, it is. It's a little harder to make a good joke. But that's why I use that joke about, you know, walking to a bar. You know, those are always good jokes. You know, rabbi, a priest, and a, you know, nun walk, you know, walk into a bar like that. You know, there's, there's still plenty of material, Tom. Don't worry. Well, and when I when I read that joke and, and I, I, I thought it was pretty fun, um, it reminded me that I recently saw somebody use the phrase, I've been 20 <laughs> totally, totally. This this year is going to go down in history for sure, for sure. Yeah. What do you What do you think a class reunion from twenty twenty will look like? <laughs> uh, uh, first of all, I hope we're all there. <laughs> Everybody will be staying home. Totally. Um, it'll It'll be It'll be a Zoom Zoom uh, Zoom class reunion. <laughs> You know, when you um, you mentioned um, imagery, use one good image and repeat it. And I I thought of a couple, um, but good. but you have an example: a chicken in every pot and a car in every garage, which was Herbert Hoover in 1928. But I think of uh, I, I thought of Ronald Reagan with his vision mm -hmm. of a city on the hill. Uh -huh. And um, uh -huh. and uh, uh, Herbert uh, George Herbert Walker Bush, um, with his thousand points of light, which kind of backfired mm. on him. But but those are the <laughs> kinds of things you're talking about. You know, putting imagery in that will 
stand out and punctuate a speech? You know, the truth is, um, you know, I teach poetry. I, I think I told you mentioned that I have, you know, a few books of poetry published, yeah. and I teach poetry, and I've taught poetry to kids. And we always go back to the basics. And this isn't, this isn't obviously all the things that we tell children, but one of them is imagery. To use a strong visual will um, draw in your audience and make the work memorable, right? That, that's, the, that's the thing that you want. You want people to walk away. You know, in meetings, uh, you know how people always say now, what's the takeaway? What's the takeaway? <laughs> you know, and here we were in, not we, but people, the culture, the Americans, were in 1928. Remember what a, not remember, but historically, what a dire, dire moment in history that was, right? People jumping off buildings, losing their life savings, you know, it, it was terrible. And this, image of promise of, you know, um, I'm going to come in and don't worry. You're not going to starve. You'll, be, you'll have your car. We're going to keep Americans at this, you know, uh, high level of, of existence. And, um, and so when people walked away, and of course he repeated it in every speech, just like John F. Kennedy, you know, the next, the next a uh, point that I make is about repetition. <clears throat> John F. Kennedy saying, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Whoa. Talk about, talk about a strong message and a takeaway. Um, you know, people are, are, they have this, this image in their mind of, um, you know, huh, well, what can I do for my country? I like this guy. Okay. I'm going to do something for my country. So, you know, um, Yes, it's strong, and, and that's not something that comes easily, right? It's the same thing with, with kids or anybody else writing poetry. I mean, strong images and good, good, memorable lines are not easy. So remember we talked about whether you write your own speeches or you have a speech writer. Well, if you're writing your own speech and, and you can't think of a good image or uh, a, good, a good line to repeat, you know, find a poet. <laughs> And they'll help you uh, figure it out because the creative you, you need you need that creative spark in there. Yeah. And and very often when you mention uh, JFK, very often he quoted poets in his speeches. Yes, yes. Thank you for bringing that up. Yes, Obama too was very uh, uh, leaned on the words of the poets. Yes, thank you. That's that's a wonderful thing to bring up. The um, and and repetition and you mentioned Barack Obama, um, he sort of helped usher us into the new soundbite world with "Yes, we can," and how that Excellent. how that became, you know, a repeated phrase at his uh, rallies and campaign events and. And it, and it became also the, you know, the perfect bumper sticker, the perfect tweet, you know, it was, um, it, it was no ask not what you, 
what you can do or what your country can do for you. Yeah, but. it wasn't a long. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't long. You're, that's really a good point, Tom. It was a soundbite. It was really um, pithy, as they say. Um, and, of course, you know, uh, it, it was a huge uh, uh, hill, a huge hurdle to get an African American, the first African American family into the White House. Um, I'm also thinking about Steve Jobs. Um, in, in years past, uh, I worked in advertising, and Apple was uh, our client. And this was in the years when Steve was at the helm. And so he came into our office, and, and we all met him, and you know he gave his little spiel. And, and I remember, again, this is years ago, he, he got up and he'd say, hey, we're going up against IBM, but we're young and we can dance. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it was so compelling. And, and you know, he, it was like he was the, you know, he was one of the first disruptors. And he was so confident. And I did hear him speak, and he, he just, Talk about, well, he had charisma. He was attractive. He was articulate. You know, he just had everything in his favor. Because when Apple first came out, it was a sham. You know, they brought an idea of a computer to a computer show. And just from his salesmanship, off they went, you know. And, and again, that goes back to what I'm saying about speeches. You know, use your best salesmanship, right? Um, and confidence, of course, and I didn't even put this in. I mean, there's passion, but there's also, when you come across with, with uh, you believe in what you're saying, it's, it's uh, contagious. And then um, moving on, so I want to I make sure we get to all five. You talk about using memorable language, um, and and the example you give is, from probably one of the greatest speeches of the 20th century, uh, Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech and the phrase, I Have a Dream. Um, that's one that has resonated since it was first given in 1963. Exactly. I mean, that phrase brings up, you know, it's repetition because he said it over and over and over again. It's imagery, but it almost goes back to the first point that we were talking about. Remember when we said, why, why would you start off with a joke, you know? And, I, and what I said was, you want to level the playing field. You want to make it um, clear to your audience that you are not up there being God. You are up there connecting with people, Right. And so that's the whole thing with, with I have a dream. Everybody has a dream. We all have dreams. And so for him to go up and say, I have a dream, that's a great connector, great connector. And he, he crossed over. He wasn't just speaking to African Americans. He was speaking to everyone. And that's why the civil rights movement was a tsunami. He got a tsunami of support and not just from you know, their own community. 
And then finally, um, hope. Ending with a hopeful note. And here's here's where it gets a little a, a little tricky for me because um, this is where I feel like campaign promises show up that don't often get fulfilled. This is true. This is true. You know, and I think there's a difference between hope, as, as we say in, in the literary world, it's nuanced, Tom. <laughs> you know, so there's a difference between hope and empty promises, right? I have a dream means I'm going to hook my wagon, you know, that old saying, you know, yeah. it's your wagon, to, to someone who I resonate with. You know what I'm saying? Like I said, everyone has a dream. So I can't be mad at Martin Luther King for empty promises because he has a dream. I have a dream. Not all dreams come true, obviously. Well, the dream that doesn't... Dream but the, washed. the dream doesn't die. The promise does. Yes, yes. And, and, and when you think about campaign promises... I mean, people want to hear things like a chicken in every pot and a car in every garage. In 1928, when the stock market was down and people were losing everything, you do kind of emotionally want to hear a promise. But the problem in politics, you know, I remember, you know, watching the Obama, and I'm not an expert, but just his career, some of the things he wanted that he promised, it wasn't his fault that they got derailed. It's politics because we don't live in a dictatorship. One person makes a promise, but then they have to go to the Senate and all of this to, to get approval. So, um, so hope, I think, is a more emotional, um, yeah, it's, it's a more emotional connection. Well, it's and you know, hope joke. You know who played on that was Bill Clinton. Uh, say more. Keep hope alive. Yeah. Yeah. I think Jesse Jackson and used that one too. Yeah. You know, hope. I mean, and especially when things are dire. Look at us now. Oh, you know, <laughs> we got a lot of problems. <laughs> We've got a lot of problems right now. So we do want to hear hope. And, you know, we don't, we actually don't want to hear empty promises because when people's paychecks are involved or their health insurance or their mortgage, you want to, you want to plan, you know? Um, I mean, but again, going back, this isn't a political um, position paper. This is a speech. And, as I said, you know, I, I work with, uh, I coach writers. Um, they always, uh, one of the biggest things we talk about is a query letter to a publisher or an agent. And these writers want to say so much and they want to give their whole life story and they want to say every little point about their book. And I keep saying to them, your query letter is a seduction exercise. You know, you are trying to win someone over to ask you to look at your book. You don't want to give too much away, right? Right. 
Um, and it's the same thing with these speeches. You know, we are seducing potential fans and voters onto our side. We're not, it's not a position paper, but again, you don't, you don't want to lie, but it's, it's a, it's a very particular kind of, kind of public speaking. Yeah. Well, there's, um, one other thing that I, that I wanted to kind of add here is once you take all of these things into consideration and you write a different speech, I, I've had this happen to me personally. I am terrible when I try to do a scripted speech. Interesting. Interesting. Yes. Uh, you know, it, it goes it goes from this, this, you know, all of these great words and, you know, these great mechanics that tie everything all together and make it work and it has all the, you know, elements that it should have. And, and then I, I sit and read it like a first grader. Yes, yes, yes. That's a really interesting point. I mean, again, that goes back to the art of the rhetoric. Can you feel comfortable speaking, as we say, extemporaneously? Um, and and I know that this has been a, an issue during this campaign where it's like so-and-so went off script, you know, um, because the, the, the parties want their candidates to, to stay on message. But, uh, yes, how do you deliver it with both staying on message, right, but without sounding stiff. And again, I think that's the art of it. That's the art of giving a good speech. And remember back to your high school days when you took public speaking, you know, um, there's an art to, okay, I'm going to follow the script and I'm going to make my bullet points, but I'm also going to really connect with the people I'm talking to. Yeah, I really do better with bullet points than a, than a scripted speech and that's that's why I wanted to bring that up because I think some people don't know that that's an option. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um but the thing with bullet points as opposed to a scripted speech is that you can uh, or a speaker if they are long-winded could get off into what we say the weeds. Well, you could lose them. Yeah, there's there there is that. And uh, before we do that, Joan, it's uh, just about time to wrap things up. But um, Joan, it's been a, a real privilege talking with you. I, I appreciate you sharing these thoughts with us uh, today. And I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you. Um, do you have a website? Yes, I have a website for my general writing, which is just joangelfan.com. And fortunately, not a lot of people in this country have my name, and no one who has my name has a website. So I'm really easy to find as opposed to John Smith. Um, so, uh, yes, and I also have a new novel, and people can find out about the novel at www.extrememthebook.com. E-X-T-R-E-M-E. So it's an adventure story that takes place in a Silicon Valley startup. <laughs> well, Joan, thank you so much for uh, spending this time with me this morning. I appreciate it. Best of luck to you. It's been a pleasure, Tom. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Take care. Thank you. Have a great day. 
We'll have more of the Tom Summer hey, program straight ahead. This is the Unknown Comic. And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now. And now, too. And even now. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. Take the following everyday steps to help avoid the spread of all respiratory viruses. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue. Throw the tissue away and then wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. They say singing can help you remember things, so here's some tips for parents out there during these tough times. Number one. Make sure your kids wash their hands for 20 seconds after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside. Two. Virtual play dates, social and physical distancing can help save lives. Three. Tell them they're safe and show your love and pride. Yes, we'll get through this together. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the Briggs. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write us at TomSumnerProgram.com. Call us at at 810-339-8255 or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner program where to go. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and Start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. It's a major factor in dancing like a retard. may cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. 
alcohol may cause pregnancy, and it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila! I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. The 35th President of the United States, John F. Kennedy, had frequently demonstrated a quick and ready wit. But his audience at the 1962 White House Correspondents' Dinner was unprepared for the high humor he revealed that night. It was shortly after his now-famous clash with the steel industry, in which the industry had announced and then rescinded a steel price increase. I have a few opening announcements. First, the sudden and arbitrary action of the offices of this organization in increasing the price of dinner tickets by two... $2.50 over last year constitutes a wholly unjustifiable defiance of the public interest. If this increase is not rescinded, but is imitated by the gridiron, radio, TV, and other dinners, it will have a serious impact on the entire economy of this city. In this serious hour in our nation's history, when newsmen are awakened in the middle of the night to be given a front-page story. <laughs> when expense accounts are being scrutinized by the Congress. When correspondents are required to leave their families for long and lonely weekends at Palm Beach. <laughs> the American people will find it hard to accept this ruthless decision made by a tiny handful of executives. <laughs> Whose only interest is the pursuit of pleasure. I am hopeful that the Women's Press Club will not join this price rise and will thereby force a rescission. I'm uh, sure... I speak in behalf of all of us in expressing our thanks and very best wishes to Benny Goodman and his group, to Ms. Gwen Burden and Bob Force, Ms. Sally Ann Howes, Mr. Reed, who has some talent, but... Uh... <laughs> and uh, Mr. Peter Sellers. I, I have arranged for them to appear next week on the United States Steel Hour. <laughs> Actually, uh, I didn't do it. Bobby did it, but uh, we're going <laughs> to... 
like uh, members of Congress, I have been during the last few days over the Easter holiday back in touch with my constituents <laughs> and uh, seeing how they felt. And frankly, I've come back to Washington from Palm Beach, and I'm against my entire program. Would you? Would you? feel that the only hope in 64 is to, uh, on the Republican ticket, is to nominate uh, Barry. But to be honest, I thought that before I went to Palm Beach. <laughs> we are glad to have the Prime Minister tonight. Last night he was the guest of the publishers, and again he is tonight. We want him to know... Uh... How welcome he is. Lord Dunsany, a Distinguished Irishman said many years ago, to fight England is to fight fate. And I choose to believe in 1962, to be associated with England in a great cause is to be associated with fate. Prime Minister, we are proud to have you here again. We are... I think I speak on his behalf in saying that after having been in the hands of 1,400 members of the press for over four hours, we haven't got a single complaint. Thank you. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
from his Stranded CD that was called uh, Been Such a Long Time. Anyway, uh, been a great show today. Just It went flying by. I can't believe how fast it went. I want to say thanks to my guest this past hour, uh, writer, poet, and uh, critic. She has uh, been a regular contributor to the Huffington Post and a number of uh, other publications as well. She has a new book out called Extreme, a novel. But uh, we were talking about a recent blog she did about uh, writing tips for uh, writing your best presidential speech, whether you want to be president of the block club or president of the chamber of commerce or whatever you might want to be president of. Um, And then uh, before that, we talked to the father and daughter authors of Coming Home. Um, fascinating book. They were uh, Bruce and Vernay Ewing. And uh, interesting conversation with them. And we started out this morning talking about something that never even crossed my mind. A new book by journalist Angie Schmidt uh, examines, it's, it's called Right of Way, Race, Class, and the Silent Epidemic of Pedestrian Deaths in America. And it examined, uh, you know, why infrastructure neglect in certain neighborhoods and so on leads to higher rates of uh, pedestrian deaths from uh, being struck by cars and so on. Anyway, that wraps it up for today. That's Smoking George Winters, Tickling the Ivories. And uh, let me know it's time to head down the uh, hall to the living room. Maybe I'll find my voice there. And uh, I'll bring it with. I'll try to bring it with me tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. Good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.